things we're going to look at. We see the messenger announcement. We see the messenger's arrival. And we see the messenger announcing. Now, before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we're grateful for this morning that you've given to us. Grateful for the opportunity, Lord, we have just to, to gather here and to look into your word. And I pray, Lord, in our time together, as we look into your word together, that your word would look into us as individuals and as each one of us together, we would hear from you. And so, Lord, just take my mind and my heart and my tongue and allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. I pray, Lord, anything that I share that's not of you would be quickly forgotten. But I pray, Lord, your message would be what would resonate in our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, stir in our hearts. Let us hear from you this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, the first thing we want to look at this morning is the messenger announcement. Uh, as we look at this messenger announcement, it's important that our, we set the stage here for just a second and kind of think about this for a second. Uh, there was a messenger that was to be sent. And we see the sending of this messenger in Isaiah 40, verse 3. And it says this, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah is the one who wrote Isaiah 9, 6 for us. And Isaiah is also the one who wrote Isaiah 40, verse 3 for us. And he speaks about this messenger, the one who's going to come in the wilderness, the one who's going to come and who's going to proclaim this. Malachi picked up this same message, and Malachi shared this message as well. He says, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, a promised messenger, this promise of this messenger is what is given. And a messenger is going to be sent. And because the Lord is the one who's sending this message, this messenger is going to come. We can chalk it up as it's going to happen because the Lord says this messenger is going to come. And so because it's a sure thing. And then we read that this messenger is going to prepare the way. As Israel gathered together, they were looking forward to the time that the Messiah would come. There were promises that the Messiah would come. And then we see these promises of this messenger coming first. And this messenger is going to come and he's going to proclaim and he's going to make the announcement and he's going to let them know that the Messiah is coming, that the Messiah is on his way. There in Malachi 3 verse 1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. In the book of Malachi, Malachi spoke of the practices that were taking place in the temple. And, and some of those practices, uh, he identified them as being there being serious problems within the temple. The temple had drifted away from being focused on God and centered on God. Corruption had come into the priesthood. And as we look at Israel and as we look at their history, we see they have a history of drifting away from the Lord. 
Israel has that history. Unfortunately, us as mankind, due to our sin nature, we have a history of drifting away. That's, that's our nature. That's who we are. This messenger was going to come to Israel and he was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He was going to uh, announce and, and, and preach a message of repentance. And he was sharing with them that judgment was going to come. That they needed to turn back to the Lord. They had drifted too far for too long. And they needed to return. And that was this messenger. That was what he was going to do. That was the message <coughs> that he was going to proclaim. And this was shared 400 years before he came. This messenger is going to come. He's going to announce the Messiah is coming. And the Messiah is going to come. That's the announcement that was made. But we also see the arrival of this one who is to be the messenger. And that's what we find in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Look there with me. We see the setting of this arrival in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. In the days of Herod. This would identify the time for us. We, back then, they didn't have the same calendar system that we have. But if I were to share with you that it was during the Carter administration, some of you would say, who? All right. The rest of you would say, yeah, I remember that. That is the first president that I remember. I remember Gerald Ford being in office. But President Carter was the first one. I remember the, the whole uh, debates and everything going on and, and seeing that election. That's the first election. So I was pretty young. I was 25, 30 years old probably. But I was pretty young during that time. But, uh, but that's, that recollects to me during that time when that took place. And so in the days of Herod, if you heard that, you would say, yeah, I, I remember those days. That was the time that I remember. That was in my childhood if you were, if you were here at that time. But that's, that's where Israel was, and that was who was the king. And as we think about King Herod, uh, he was a tyrant. Uh, he was an awful king. He had ten wives. He even killed one of them himself. Uh, and, and so Herod was, was just an awful king. And it wasn't a great time in Israel's history. When you read that it was in the days of Herod, if you were Jewish, you would say, yeah, those were dark times in Israel. That was, that was not a good time to be alive uh, for the nation of Israel. Malachi was the last prophet. He's in the last book of the Old Testament. After Malachi received the message of God and shared the message of God, there were 400 years of silence. There was no message from heaven. There was no message from God for 400 years. And so people were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for him to come. The religious leaders had drifted away from God. Uh, they were shackled in tradition. Uh, the rabbi's instruction became more authoritative than the word of God was. Corruption had, had gone into this religious system. The temple was being misused. The religious condition of Israel at this time in the days of Herod uh, was not a good time. It was a dark time for the nation of Israel. A time of oppression for the people of God. We read this in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We are introduced to Zechariah here. 
And depending on your translation, I have the word spelled differently than your translation. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it's Zechariah and the English Standard Version. Some of the other translations write his name a little differently. But Zechariah and Elizabeth are there, and both of them are descendants of Aaron. In order to be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. You had to marry family members of Aaron. And so they are both descendants of Aaron. And as we read this, it says they were both righteous before God. Think about that for a moment. The condition of Israel, dark days, corruption within the priesthood. But yet we read these two people were untainted by that unrighteousness. They remained Righteous, in spite of the corruption, in spite of the circumstances, they walked blamelessly. We look at our society today and we say, boy, how can you help it? I mean, society's like it is. We can help it. We can walk in an upright manner. These two were doing that same thing, walking blamelessly in a society that was filled with blame. Verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. It's interesting, as we look at that verse 7 there, we see that first word, but. They were righteous in the eyes of God. They were walking in a righteous way, but they were barren. You see, in this society, in this day and age, they saw people who didn't have children as being cursed by God. We know today with all of the new science we have that we know that is not the case. There are other things that are at effect. But it's interesting that they look at this and they think this is a sign of sin in someone's life, forgetting Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah. Uh, all of those were ladies in the Old Testament who were barren until they had that child. And God used them in a great way. And here we have Elizabeth, and she's in the same condition. She's barren. And it says that they were advanced in years. Think about that. And they really have a lot going against them because they were advanced in years. They're, they're, past, they're past that childbearing age. So obviously as they're here, it's a rough situation for them. Obviously it wasn't the curse that was upon them, but it was an opportunity for them to glorify God. Now verse 8 says this, now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, the priests were divided into 24 divisions. And the priests would serve two weeks at a time. And then whenever holidays were in place, they were expected to serve as well. So their division would come and they would report for duty and they would serve for that two weeks. Now, every day as we think about this, these priests would come and every day two priests would be chosen by lot. And these two priests would go in and they would offer up incense. One would offer it up in the morning and one would offer it up in the evening. And because it was done by lot, it was not done by seniority or height or, or weight or anything like that. Uh, sometimes for these priests, this was a once in a lifetime thing. Because of the number of priests there were serving on this two week rotation, your name getting drawn, uh, really good chances that it may never happen in your lifetime as you serve as priests. But here 
We see Zechariah, and he's chosen. And he would go in and he would offer up incense. And that was Zechariah's job. He was the one chosen by Lot to do that. Verse 11 says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now think about this moment for a second. This is your first tour into the Holy of Holies. Okay? Into the Holy Place. It's not the Holy of Holies, it's the Holy Place. The temple had two rooms in it. And the Holy Place was where the, off, the, the table of incense, where the offering of incense would be done. The showbread was in there as well. And this was a room and it was divided by a curtain. And the Holy of Holies was on the other side of this curtain. In fact, the uh, table of incense was pushed up against that curtain. And on the other side of that curtain was the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Tabernacle was. And that's where the very presence of God was seen was on the other side of that curtain. The priest could only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and it would only be the high priest, not these other priests. Only the high priest. So here comes Zechariah in here, and he's offering up this incense, and he's one table and one curtain away from the very presence of God. Can you imagine that moment, how that would be? The closest I've ever come to that was at the, at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Have you ever been there? When you walk up there, it's just silence as the Marines do their uh, ceremony there for that uh, changing of the guard. But it's a very humbling, very somber experience as we come to that. That's as close as I've been to anything like this. Zechariah comes in there. And he's going to light this incense and he's going to take and carry out the, the task that he used to carry out. And as he's doing that, an angel appears at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled. Oftentimes we see those little cute things at the knickknack shop, right? Uh, some of the angels, they look like babies. Some of the angels, you know, they're all different. When we read in Scripture the encounter with angels, we never read about warm fuzzies. We never read about a desire for birthday cake. Uh, we never read about a desire for a baby shower. We see this reaction. And Zechariah is troubled when he sees this. Notice in verse 13, the angel said, do not be afraid. I think that's angelology 101. I think when you're training to be an angel, you have to say, do not be afraid. And I think you have to look in a mirror and practice. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because every time we see an angel encounter, they, the men freak out, the people freak out, and the angel says, do not be afraid. It's just what they say. That's part one. And that's what happens here. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Imagine how that was for Zechariah, troubled seeing the angel, but then hearing the angel say, your prayer has been heard. 
Zechariah is probably around 70 years old at this time. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth is going to have a child. Now I read that and I think, man, Zechariah has great faith praying that a child would come at 70 years old. I would think that prayer would end, say, like when he's 50, because, you know, raising children is for the youthful, right? Uh, when you get to 50, boy, I just don't know if I have enough energy for it. That's when we become grandparents and we say, hey, it's okay to have sugar. Go home now. <laughs> because we just can't handle it anymore, right? We don't have that energy anymore. Uh, when, we were, when we were 25, we just gave them sugar to keep them happy. Hey, as long as you're not yelling, we're okay. We'll worry about the consequences later. Uh, we'll see the dentist and everything will be okay. That was no concern. So I can't imagine him being 70 years old still praying. But I can't imagine Zechariah walking and honoring God, desiring to honor God. I can imagine him praying wholeheartedly for the nation of Israel. We need a Redeemer. We need a Savior to come. We need the Messiah to come. I can imagine as he looked at the priesthood and saw all the corruption going on. I'm in here by myself. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need the Messiah to come. The angel stands before him and says, Your prayer has been heard. A son will come and you will name him John. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Of course, Zachariah and Elizabeth would have great joy. Great gladness would come to them as they found out this miracle had taken place. And it says that many will rejoice at his birth. Look at verse 16. We've got to get a future focus of his future ministry. It says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to proclaim the message of repentance. And there are going to be people who turn from the world and turn to the Messiah as he comes. And when the Messiah comes, there is going to be great celebration because they turn back to God. He's going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And that's the one that Israel's been waiting for. And so many are going to be glad when he comes. Many are going to rejoice at his birth because they know. Now look at verse 15. We see his character. It says he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He's going to be great before the Lord. Great before anyone else? Does that really matter? Great before the Lord's really what matters, isn't it? Jesus was speaking and Jesus was sharing and Jesus said this, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. What, what accolades to have said about by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was great. As we look at this and we see that he's abstaining from wine and strong drink. In the Old Testament, we read about a Nazarite vow. And those are, some, those are uh, elements of that Nazarite, Nazarite vow. Uh, Samuel was one who was a, was a Nazarite, and he abstained from that. We don't read about John being a Nazarite, but he abstained from drink, and that's certainly part of that. He would be filled with the Spirit even within his mother's womb. A reality of this is in John 1, 41. 
When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit controlled even within the womb. Spirit controlled even with the womb. Now the child arrives. We read about him coming, but we read about his arrival. This is John 1, 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. That certainly would be a time of gladness. That certainly would be a, a time of great joy, a time of rejoicing. And we read that even Elizabeth's neighbors joined in with her, and they rejoiced as well because they knew how long she had waited for a child. Luke chapter 1, verse 80. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This was that child, and that was the celebration that took place because of this child. That was his arrival. But you know, his arrival is not what stopped. His arrival is not what made this child different. It was the message that this messenger went out and announced to everybody that made this child special. We see his ministry in verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Elijah was seen as one of the greatest of prophets in Israel's history. And he would be like Elijah. When it was time, John began sharing the message of repentance. With all of the religious hypocrisy, this was a message that needed to be shared. But it was a message that was a strange message. It was a message that was not received well by everyone. This is Matthew 3, verse 5. Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He was received by many. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There were some who came that didn't like his message. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, as they came, they were investigating him. They didn't want to hear this message of repentance. They didn't want to turn back from their ways because life was pretty good. They enjoyed who they were, not serving God. They weren't, they weren't worried about it. John said, hey, times are going to come. Judgment's going to come. It's time that you turn. It's time that you're ready for the coming of the Messiah. John served as the Messiah's forerunner. It was a privileged position. Not a popular position, but it was a privileged position. He would be the one clearing the way. He would be the one that would be preparing the hearts of the people that they would need to turn to the Messiah. Mark chapter 1 verse 2 says this, As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, 
make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark says that John is the one who fulfilled that role as the forerunner. It was John, it was, he was the one who was called to take on this task and to carry out this task. He was the forerunner. John 1.15 says this, John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, he ranks before me, because he was before me. Verse 7 says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We know that Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is the one who came to proclaim uh, proclaim salvation, to, to make a way for us to be with the Lord. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to give testimony, to witness about the light that would come. The religious leaders... They were intrigued by his ministry, but they rejected him. John 1 verse 19, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. John knew what his role was. John knew what he was supposed to do. He knew that he was fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had given. And John came to cause people to turn to the Messiah. John's witness was clear. There was never any doubt about what his witness was. His witness was not about himself. But his witness was pointing others to the Messiah. Mark 1, 7 says this. He preached saying after me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.34, and I've seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So there you have it. The messenger's announcement. We see the messenger's arrival. And we see the messenger going out and announcing. Doing just what he was supposed to do. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what does this mean for us as we gather together this morning and celebrate Christmas? It's amazing to me as I think about what God has done for us in sending His Son. God sent John the Baptist to announce the coming of His Son. It was an announcement that 
needed to be made. It was an announcement that needed to be heard. This is about two weeks before Facebook. John was sent to share a message. His message was repent. His message was turn to God. His message was prepare your heart because the King is coming. There were so many who heard that message. They didn't like the way he dressed. They didn't like the way he proclaimed it in the wilderness. They didn't like his hair. They didn't like anything about him. They didn't like the message especially. Because they didn't like the message, they didn't like the messenger. But they missed out on the message. They ignored the message. But you know, John the Baptist, he carried out his role. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what God had called him to do. Even though the message was ignored, even though they thought John was too harsh, he proclaimed the message. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Lord has come. John the Baptist said he would come, and he's come. John the Baptist fulfilled prophecy, being the one who came and proclaimed that message. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled prophecy because he was the one who was to come. And he's coming again. The next time, he won't be coming as a child. The next time, he's going to be coming as king. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And those who are not willing to recognize him as such are going to be defeated. They're going to be overcome. So what does that mean to us? I think the message is pretty clear. We have a message to share. We have a message to tell. Because we are celebrating Christmas. We are celebrating the birth of this child. We recognize the child for who he is. The Son of God. The Lamb of God who came into the world to take away the sins of the world. We have that message. We have that Christmas card. We know the second coming is not going to be the same. We have a message to share. Just as John the Baptist had a message to share, we have a message to share. So my question for us, as we think about Christmas, as we think about celebrating Christmas, are we sharing with others the reason for the season, the real reason for the season because you see God sent his son into this world as a child as an infant and he lived a perfect life without sin tempted in every way but without sin and he went to the cross and he died on the cross paying the penalty for our sin not for most of our sin not for 75 80 percent depending on our height he came and paid the penalty for all of our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. And you know what? The manger is empty because the child has grown up, and the cross is empty 
because the sacrifice has been paid once and for all. The entire salvation package was taken care of. What have we done with that salvation package? What have we done with the gift of salvation? Have we received that gift? Have we opened up that gift? Have we made that gift our own? If we haven't, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we need to do that. If we've opened that gift, if we've received that gift, we need to be sharing that gift. We need to be telling others about the salvation that can be found in Christ and in Christ alone. We have an assignment. Our assignment is to go and to tell.